Hi everyone, it's Chrissy here. Before we jump into this awesome episode with Kimma, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer that during this episode, I did have some audio issues. Uh, Kimma's sound sounds great and it's totally fine and she has amazing things to share. Um, but just letting you know that on my side, it might sound a bit staticky or crackly to you. So apologies for the uh, <laughs> annoyance with that and hope you still continue to listen to this podcast. It, it was a great one. Thanks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today, I have on the podcast Kim Ma Shaw. She's the Senior Director of Demand Marketing and Operational Excellence at Actian. And today, we're going to be talking about building a center of excellence um, and also just all about operational excellence and how you can make that a part of your organization. Um, I'm excited to have Kim Ma on. I first kind of had her on my radar when I saw that she was one of Marketo's Peerless 50 um, and has a lot of great content that she shares on LinkedIn for the community. So I thought it would be great to have Kima on. And so when she raised her hand to be on the podcast, I was super excited. So welcome to the podcast, Kima. It's nice to finally have you on and meet you. Thank you so much, Christina. It's so I'm so happy to be here. Really excited to talk about one of my passions, which is operational excellence, excellence just in general, but specifically in regards to market marketing operations. So really happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I know you know this because I let you know, but we always talk about people's origin story and how they got into mops. It's always one of the, I fell into it or an interesting story. So would love to hear how you got into marketing ops and to where you are today. So I will try to get, keep my origin story short, but origin stories have their own movies, just FYI. So yeah. <laughs> and we'll keep this short, but I am literally the most non-traditional marketing exec that I know. Um, I was actually a high school dropout. And I like I love to share that because I like to like just shatter this whole idea that like you can't start over and reinvent yourself and literally figure out and do whatever you want to do. Oh, I so, love that. I love that. That's great. So I dropped out of high school and went right into working. And I worked in marketing pretty much from the very beginning. I loved marketing, but marketing back in the early 2000s was still super traditional. It was communications. It was sell sheets. It was trades. Mm -hmm. It was really about providing communications to enable the sales organization to go out and make these have these face-to-face -face conversations with their clients so that they could close business, right? So we were really, really in the in the background um, working on enable, but but certainly not in the way that we do enablement now. And I got laid off in in 2010. I think this might have been like the third, my third time I got laid off in my career. And I was like, okay, something needs to change. I I need to make myself more valuable to my employers. So I went mm. back to school um full-time to get my degree and my first semester i studied marketing and i was just like i already know all this stuff this is stupid i don't and we don't do this anyway like what they teach <laughs> is really different than what you do in, in real life but that's another totally <laughs> so <laughs> i started um i i changed my major to business and that's when i really started to learn the operational processes of business like from a data perspective like mm. the operations of a business 
I started taking classes on like quantitative business analysis, analytics, um, microeconomics, and really started understanding like business outside business as a business, mm-hmm. and then to relate it back to all of marketing. And I was like, this is super fascinating. And I never even thought I was a numbers person. And then realized like the story isn't just the pictures and the colors and the mm-hmm. words that you use. It is the data that you have to inform the pictures and the colors and the words that you use. So once I graduated and I went back into the the into into business, I wound up working for a company that was actually very data driven. I just kind of got lucky. They were mm. like, every, but everything was in an Excel spreadsheet. That's a, again another another podcast, right? So a lot of human error, um, a lot of disconnected siloed data a lot of decisions that were made outside of the business unit that it would actually impact. And at that time I was responsible for um, email marketing through a a platform called Click Dimensions. Mm, Not mm -hmm. sure that, but they're like super old school drip marketing only, right? They connect with um, Microsoft Dynamics. And I really started playing with the data, understanding CRM and really like getting into like uh, understanding like the importance of like enriching data, data mm-hmm. normalization of data, standardization of data, du- deduplication, routing, like how all of that information together informs your messaging strategy. Um, and then we implemented all these marketing campaigns, knocked it out the, out, the, out the park and deliver a lot of value because it was really driven not by the words, but by the data. Mm. And so at that point, um, I said, okay, well, we've completely used uh, click dimensions as best we possibly can. We need another system. So I put together a proposal and I said, let's get something that's like a marketing automation. I don't even think the company had even heard what marketing automation was at that point. And so I said, we need a marketing automation system. What's that you say? I'm like, it's the system that automates all the things that we need to do, right? It's the auto, it's a CRM for marketers. It's our single source of truth, but it's going to help us to automate all these processes and really to understand our our business and be more effective. And so we went through the assessment of, um, of, of, of going through like Marketo and Pardot and Eloqua mm-hmm. and understanding the, um, the capabilities of each one of those systems as it relates to our, our current business. And we, we, we went with Marketo and I've been in MOPS ever since then, because at that point it was like, the data is where it's at, right? It's, oh, yeah. it's the behind the scenes is where all the, the magic is. And I also love the fact that I could then start to quantify what I was doing. Whereas before it was like you you create all of these programs or spreadsheets or an intranet or a trade show, but then how do you tie it back to the business? Once I got on the mop side, I'm like, everything that I do, I can tell you how I'm impacting the business in, in a very intentional way. Um, and, and, and that is my origin story. That's amazing. I think also like just having, I think your foresight was so great because just knowing like market automation back then was the thing, but it was just kind of starting out in like 2010 or so. Um, Mm -hmm. I I have started working at Marketo actually at that time and we were still telling people like what market automation is and trying to educate them. But I think you kind of like put together, okay, how can I prove my value? And I think 
for a lot of marketers and maybe even people are feeling that now, right? Because back then it was kind of around a recession time as well. So people like were really hanging on to, okay, we we have to actually prove our ROI on, on what we're doing with our programs, which is why I think a lot of that messaging hit and why marketing automation was getting traction. But I think marketers now are figuring out, okay, it's like you said, it's not just about pretty pictures, not just about like what we put out there. And, and that's already kind of well known now, but still marketers are trying to figure out or just people in their jobs, like how can I prove my value? Because it's, you know, scary when people are getting laid off and there's cuts being made. So I think for you, like it was almost like serendipitous as well, because like being in MOPS is such a valuable role. There's not a lot of people that naturally tend to go toward it. And for those who really leaned into it and saw the opportunity, it was a great, you know, it was a great career choice because I think it's just so valuable and necessary and needed. So I, I love the story as well from being a high school dropout to where you are today. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma also for people who maybe don't go to college or have a traditional linear path. And so, um, having you share that with um, our listeners is great because I have friends who didn't have those paths and they're intelligent, hardworking people. And so I think now as we look at candidates or people who are helping them go through their career, we shouldn't just look for this very traditional background that's very closed-minded. So I'm glad that you're shining a light on that too. And, and I'm so glad that you said that. And I know that is away from the questions that we ask. But one of the things when I am looking at candidates that I do not put on the JD is education. I mean, personally, because my own personal experience, but people learn in so many diverse ways. And I think that if you limit your pool to just a specific subset, you're going to be eliminating this, this diverse background of thought and experience that's really going to help you to build a true center of operational excellence. I think part of that is building with diversity in mind, mm. diversity in thought, diversity in experience, diversity in background, because there is no one way to skin a cat, right? Yeah. And so having people that come from different areas that are seeing different things helps you to get there faster, better. So I just wanted to add that too. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So to kick it off, how would you describe like operational excellence? So what is operational excellence to you? What makes up operational excellence? So operational excellence is going to vary for every organization. So let me just say that everything that I say needs to be taken from the lens of it is a very specialized thing that's based on your businesses, your business resources, um, your market, and, and, and where you are in your business's journey. If you're a startup, if you're more an enterprise business, right? But I think overall, generally speaking, um, operational excellence is an integrated, orchestrated ecosystem of people, processes, and technology mm -hmm. that come together for the good of driving the business goals and supporting the business strategy, um, the customers, and its internal shareholder. It's like the circulatory system of the business, right? Its main focus is to keep everything moving and pumping, right? The same the same thing we, we you think of when you think about the circulatory system in the body. Mm -hmm. It's providing oxygen and blood to the body to keep the body able to function, to think, to process, to move, to be alive. I think operational excellence is the circulatory system of the business. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's great. I think that a lot of, a lot of folks like, 
maybe don't have that thinking of like operations and how necessary it is. So I think just comparing it to a lifeline is, is great. I think we all should be thinking that. It's like, you don't have this, you're dead. <laughs> I mean, you know you are dead in the water, right? Because you're not able to, you're not able to be agile. Yeah. I, I think the, the main focus for having a center of operational excellence as it pertains to marketing is to support the agility of the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, market is changing. The world is changing. We have pandemics. We have wars. We have things that have happened that are happening today that weren't happening a month ago, or two months ago, or six months ago, right? And so, a center of excellence creates people, creates processes for people, understands best practices, training, research, um, and really allows the business to be agile and efficient. That, that's really the main purpose and the benefit of having it is to have all of these things in one umbrella so that you can, you're constantly iterating, iterating on them and learning from them and implementing the learnings that you have from them so that you can support the business in a very agile way. You can respond very quickly, but you can also learn efficiencies along the way, efficiencies in people, efficiencies in processes and efficiency in spending. Yeah. And so right now, uh, actually, and you, you lead demand marketing and operational excellence as part of your title. So I'm assuming you have a center of excellence. How, how did that come about? And did you also previously have experience with doing that at past organizations? And when you're building a center of excellence, like how do you organize the team and, and then figure out ways for those team members to kind of support all of the marketing team or the revenue team? So I think, so this is a multifaceted question. So let me try to yeah. unwind it a little bit. And so I do manage demand generation, which is lead generation um, and, and brand generation um, and awareness for the organization, as well as the operations. The reason why I, 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 I brought these two things together or I manage these the two things together is because I literally don't feel like you can do one without the mm -hmm. other. So digital marketer, when I was just focused on focusing on digital programs and campaigns and channels, like I wanted to know where my leads were going and why, mm -hmm. like, how are they performing? Who is responding to them? Who, where are they being routed to? Like, what conversations are you having with them? What's actually impacting the, the leads? And then what do you, what are you learning about the leads that I'm sending you in order to help me to influence the efficacy of the programs that I'm running? And I felt like I was kind of silo when I was just mm. doing programs because I would create leads and then have no idea what was happening once they hit that submit button and they go into the, what we call the black box of leaditude when you don't know where, what was happening <laughs> with leads or what's happening on the back end. And so for me, it was almost like, especially I've worked for a lot of startups and smarter and smaller mm -hmm. companies. I my own sense of operational excellence. Like I was like, well, I need to be able to do my job and not having someone manage this part of the business wasn't a good enough reason for me to not be good at my yeah. job. So let me figure out how to do both of these things. So in a previous role, I was managing the, the operations for the CRM, um, the marketing automation system, the email, as well as the digital programs. And so it's like I could go and build and then I could go and analyze, and then I could use that data. And so for me, building the 
this organization that has all of those functions, but in a, a, a more scale way, I'm basically taking what I did as a one man band and implementing it, hopefully in a better, more intentional way with more people to have a bigger and better impact. So I have a bunch of people on my team. I, I won't even go into who, but I think that there are some core members that you need or some core skill sets, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not about what the job role is. It's also about the strengths of your individual mm-hmm. team members. Like you may have a mock person that may not, they may be an, a, an amazing integrator. They may understand like the mechanics of the integrations, but they may not have the analysis skill, right? So I'm not necessarily looking for specific people on my bench, more so than I'm looking for specific skill sets within my team. So someone who knows how to analyze data, someone who understands integration in the whole ecosphere of our MarTech stack, someone who can help coordinate the efforts between the team so the team can focus on what they're doing. And then a strategist that kind of, which is me, that kind of orchestrates everything and says, this is this is what the business needs. Now let's figure out how to have these people processes and technology um, support that specific business need. Yeah, I, I like that. I like what you said too about like the strengths and not just like having kind of like a specific title or role. Um, there, uh, as a team, we did this thing called Clifton Strengths, and there's a strength that uh, that I have, but I thought thought stood out was like individualization. And one of the key things, and I, I feel like it would probably show up high for you, but you can figure out people and understand their core strengths and how they're different to others, and then how you can um, utilize them uh, in the right way. And I feel like as leading a team in a company that's, that's served me well there, but also for, for you, I think, I think just for any teams, cause marketers, there's so much you can do. And especially in, in demand marketing, there's so many skill sets and they're all different. And so it's hard to expect, uh, like, like all these people to be unicorns and know how to do like everything. Although a lot of job descriptions have that and some people do, but like, for the most yeah. part, there's kind of core strengths. Like you said, sometimes people are better integrators and and thinking through processes and flows and so forth. And then some people are really great at thinking through, you know, campaign operations and what, all of the process that goes into that. So I think that um, of thinking about that for your team, I, we think it's like the way you talked about it, I almost thought of like a basketball team of like, okay, how do you take people's skills and put them together um, so that they can be like one really great function group. Right, right. And uh, allowing them to work cross-functionally also within the team, I think, not allowing them, I think empowering them to work work functionally in the team is also important because one of the things that I'm very, I won't say sensitive about, but I try to be very intentional about is um, grooming my team, Mm. like giving them needs to grow their strengths in different ways. What I've learned is that obviously you, you you give them a set role and you say, well, this is what you absolutely have to get done. This is what is necessary in order to move the ball forward. But outside of that, like, what else would you like to do? What do you feel like you're good at? Like, and how can I help you work across teams? And when you do that, I find that the, the core stuff that you've asked them to do, they will kill it mm. so that they can continue other things. And so like empowering them to learn other skills and to evolve as marketers um, while giving them a set core set of responsibilities to me strikes a balance between fulfilling the business needs and fulfilling the person needs. And that's that's what 
part of like the going back to the circulatory system, the heart, the heart of operations is, is understanding that it's people yeah. first. Like you don't get anything with people. It's not just about the technology. Technology changes literally every day. We've all seen the, the grid <laughs> that's gotten smaller and smaller with 8,000, maybe like 10,000 mm -hmm. now pieces of technology you can use. That's going to continue to change and evolve. We're going to continue to have new technology, et cetera processes, same thing, is going to continue to evolve as the business evolves. But really, the core is on your people, understanding what they are able to do, um, putting things in place in order to empower them to learn mm -hmm. or to improve, and, and not putting them in positions that's going to set them up for failure. Like you cannot set your team up for failure. So I'm, I'm heavy, heavy on the people before I focus on the process and the technology. Yeah, I love that. One thing, actually, this is a good question for you, but do you, with your folks on your team, do you do any kind of like cross-functional kind of like training or education? I know at Marketo for a while, we kind of built out a what we called a demand center, which is a, a little bit different, but we kind of had core people from a certain function. But at the same time, we built a lot of internal training to like, train people on our specific domains and areas. Do you, when you say you uh, have like your teams work cross-functionally together, are they kind of like all kind of learning from each other? Do you do any like dedicated time where someone like shares kind of what they're working on with the team and like new skills that they learned? So we're actually in the process of implementing a lead lifecycle model. Yeah. Um, currently for our, our current, for my current organization. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever implemented these things, but you're like, it'll take six months. Yeah, it'll take like a year and a half. <laughs> we do them all the time, Kim. It's like our hardest and biggest thing to do. Uh, and we do them under very short time frames. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like I've never implemented one that took how much time that we estimated it yeah. would take, right? But it's, it's very robust. And it, 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 there's a lot of mechanics and technical elements that, take place. There's a lot of cross-functional mm -hmm. work outside of the marketing team. But recently, um, we had, I had my, my marketing operations manager actually present the final um, lead lifecycle model to our team and basically walk them through, like, this is where we were and this is where we are and this is how this impacts all of us. Um, we just hired also a marketing technology manager. So another thing is when you're scaling your business and you're building more technology, having the person who's responsible for managing the channel manage all of the technology also, that's a whole yeah. other job, right? So what we realized is that our internal team members were spending so much time doing um, discovery calls, mm. demos, analysis, assessments, scoring, like, but they couldn't do their job. And we have so much technology that's necessary, especially in this post-pandemic world where you have... 90% more data at your fingertips coming at you from a multitude of places, having one person who can manage the technology and understand what it's doing, how we're using it, but also to your point, building out training and processes so that we can understand like as, as people um, leave, that we can have a process for knowledge transfer mm -hmm. back into the business and that we can have a process for training, right? And so there's this whole collaborative element to the MarTech manager, the MarTech owner that's, that understands that the, ecos the ecosystem of the technology, the people in place to do it, 
what they're doing, how they're using it, how it impacts the business. So as we have like these changes, changes in resources, more people coming in, more people coming out, that we're all kind of still humming along and hopefully not missing the beat. And it's not perfect. We're still in the process of building this part. But for me, I feel like between my MOPS person and my MarTech person, like those are two of the most critical roles on my mm -hmm. team um, because I need them in order to understand what my team is doing. <laughs> I think that's smart too to think of like, okay, as people leave or come on, because I think a lot of the time we, uh, well, we, but organizations uh, struggle with that, right? Especially when they kind of rely on all of one person and a lot of that data silo, no documentation or anything like that, a person leaves that's a big pain. Then they have to start all over again and get someone to pick up the pieces. And um, so building up some type of like process where there is like someone owning it, there's training, there's cross training, there's documentation. Of course, like you said, it's not gonna be perfect, but I think starting to figure out, okay, how can we put that system in place? Cause yeah, pe people are gonna change jobs, you know, people are gonna move on. Um, but how do we keep, like you said, the, you know, the system working and, you know, not skip a beat, uh, which doesn't happen a lot. I think a lot of time people just find themselves back at square one and then a new person comes on and tries to refigure it out all from the beginning again. So I think having that also, like I said, like having that way of thinking of like, okay, how can we build something that's also scalable, but has like longevity. And that's always, uh, thinking through, okay, what happens if something changes in this environment, a person leaves, like you yeah. said, people is your number one thing. Um, and so yeah. always knowing that, yes, there's the people there right now and how we support them and uh, how we can build a path for them, but also what happens when those changes happen on the people side too. Yeah. And I, I think you, 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 you um, touched on something that I do feel like is a critical gap for most operations centers um, is mm -hmm. documentation. Um, documentation of processes is so important and it is a very unique skill, right? Because most people are not disciplined <laughs> enough to document any and everything so that when you do need to transition it to someone, you're like, hey, this is where you go. This is exactly how you do it. And so to your point, what happens is every time the system change hands, it's almost like um, Photoshop and Excel. You can run one formula, one type of formula, mm, yeah. four different ways. You can edit image about six different ways, right? To get to the same result. It's the same thing with MOPS. It's the same thing with your marketing automation system. It depends on how you learn um, and who taught you, what they taught you. Are you a traditional learner? Did you go through a course? So you're going, the way that I do it is going to be different than the way mm -hmm. that Christina does it. The way Christina does it is going to be different than the way one of my favorite uh, MOPS person is Brooke Bartos. I don't know if you know her, but she's really big in the MOPS community, um, it, but she's going to do it a little bit differently too. And what happens is every time you have change management with your marketing auto automation system and you don't have the processes documented, you literally are starting from scratch. You cannot afford to start from scratch, not at the speed in which business is going today. And so documenting it allows you to stay flexible, scalable and agile yeah. love that i mean shout out to brooke barto she actually was still actually one of my favorite um guests uh that we've had in the past where we talked about nurtures and i still have even team members on my team who go back and listen to her episode uh and send it to our clients so yeah uh and fellow chicago in there right she's she's from chicago so there you go 
we see that's how we we actually worked together um on my first mops kind of role see, oh, that's how we met okay. <laughs> all right small world see such a small world this mops world but um if brooke if brooke's yeah, listening yeah. we'll have to send this to her so she knows we're talking about it <laughs> Um, one thing I want to touch on is kind of like uh, the benefits, but I also just thought about this right now too, but a lot of the time, so for your center of excellence and building out the operational excellence that kind of melds the operations with the demand marketing, because it's, you know, a function that can support each other. I love this one because I think a lot of the time, People also aren't using reporting the right way, I think, in marketing. I think a lot of the time it's like taken, then shot up to some executive to say, look what we're doing. And like that, that is what it is. But I think a lot of the time analytics and reporting is actually meant to be used as a system. So you can figure out, okay, how do we make our marketing better? How are we getting these early indicators? How can we then see influence on pipelines? So we decide what works and what doesn't. And so I think having that whole team working closely together, because marketing is such a unique beast, like there's just so much to it, which is why I still think marketing ops. So one thing that comes up a lot, I will say is like revenue operations and like putting the operations teams together, but including like sales ops and so forth. So I think this is a little bit different because we're thinking about keeping marketing ops close to on the marketing team. So could you talk a little bit about what you think like the benefits are and like, do you think that maybe some of the shift toward revenue operations, like maybe can impact this or can, can you still have your kind of similar setup, but have that team be part of a revenue operations team? Just cause I, I, I think some folks just think, Oh, I need to have a revenue ops team, but like, it, it doesn't always have to be that way. I think. So I'm going to share a very unpopular <laughs> opinion, um, but I'm going to give you some context as well. I think that revenue ops was born out of a need that marketing was not provided. I think if marketing had been, it had been traditionally a partner of sales, a lot of organizations, and I'm not talking about my current organization, just FYI, but a lot of organizations, sales and marketing are almost always at mm -hmm. odds with each other, right? Well, I delivered you all these leads and the sales team is like, I didn't get any leads. What are you talking about? Right? It's like, it's like they're talking at each other versus to each other. And so it sales ends up having their own strategy. Marketing ends up having their own strategy. Neither one of them have alignment into each other's strategy so that they're supporting each other. And I think revenue ops came because the marketing, the sales organization was not getting the intel and the data and the support from the marketing organization that it need. And, and I think that it was an evolution, right? Marketing used to be super traditional. We didn't even have all of these mm -hmm. tools and all of these things for us in order to even de deliver that value. And then it was like, okay, well, we can't track it, right? So then was that, that, that part of marketing where it was like, well, we can't track it, but we could do it. And then it became like, we could track it. And then we had our own way of doing it, right? So I think over the, over the years it's evolved, but I think revenue ops, though I do believe it's very important. I think it really grew out of the need mm -hmm. to get something that marketing should have been able to deliver to it. And I think also like 
marketers are more tech, technologically mm -hmm. savvy now, whereas they were years ago. And so the information that they needed, the integrations between a marketing system and mm -hmm. Salesforce and understanding like how to write data between different entities and how to connect that information and understanding the gap, it was a skill set that mm -hmm. marketing didn't have. So my unique background is when I first started this role, I actually worked mm, for the sales. Okay. The Mangin sat under the CRO, the Chief Revenue Officer, which was amazing because I got a chance to really understand what the pain points of the sales organization was, like what they were trying to get at. All they want to do is have valuable conversations with valuable people. That's that's yeah. the end. That's the end goal, right? They want to the most, the people who are more, most likely to convert so that they can hit their sales goals and grow the business. What's happening in the, in the funnel? And is this aligned with the messaging that we're doing with our outreach? Do we have content? Are you delivering it to the right person? Like what's, what's going on? How much money are we spending? And so what happened in, in, in my organization was the money, the, we weren't able to, like we were spending all this money on marketing, but the CRO was obviously responsible for leads, but was like, well, but I don't understand yeah. what's happening with them. So the Manjin team moved under him temporarily. And he basically was like, I am going to build up marketing to deliver value mm. to the revenue team, to this, to the, to the sales organization. But really the revenue team is a collaboration between marketing yeah. and sales. That's it. It is the joint collaboration and understanding and shared goals and shared operational processes of the sales and uh, the sales and the marketing organization. And so for me, I feel like as long as we are delivering that specific value, right, that operational knowledge, insight, analytics, understanding of the customers, then I won't say the revenue operations is unnecessary, but it's definitely mm -hmm. going to make their job yeah. easier. It's going to empower them to do the job that yeah. they were hired to do. I completely agree with you. I, I talk about it a lot because uh, I will say like the, a lot of people when I'm on other people's podcasts, I think they always say, oh, you know, tell me all your feelings on revenue ups. And they always expect me to be a champion for it. I'm like, well, I'm like it kind of depends. I think it's a reaction to just lack of alignment. I just think that then they're trying yeah. to take an obvious place where they can make people aligned. And like you said, to like, make sure the data is horny and so forth. But really, truly, I think if there's a lack of alignment, just even on the leadership side between sales and marketing, and those teams aren't working together, that can play a big role too. So just like even your experience of having your CRO and to really get those teams like working together and see the pains of sales and how, you know, how do we then deliver I think it, it solves a lot of those problems that we then tried to make an organ, a massive organizational change to try and solve. Uh, so really just, you know, stress to leadership, like how do you just try and get your overall revenue team working more closely together rather than trying to just force um, a reporting structure? Because I will say that sometimes like the team ends up kind of reporting to the head of marketing anyway, or whoever's controlling that budget. So you, I find that I just see people who are like, my boss doesn't actually know what I do. This other person that I don't even report to is actually my main customer and is exactly what I'm working on and controls my priorities. So it's just, all orgs are different, yeah. but I, I will, I, I love that you point out that 
it has a lot to do with like the alignment or something that should have been like a lack of something that should have been happening before. So I think that that's great. Um, okay. Before we get to our, our last question, I wanted to just sneak one in around kind of prioritization because, and priorities. And I think that a lot of, uh, teams struggle with this to figure out like their long-term roadmap and then also where their priorities lie. Um, and so when you do have a team that, uh, like a, your center of um, excellence and they work really, you know, they work cross-functionally to support the organization, how, how do you balance priorities versus like the, you know, getting campaigns out the door versus your long-term kind of projects like implementing technology? I think you've already alluded to like someone kind of owning that process, but how do you handle prioritization? Um, it's definitely, I mean, it's like with anything else, like it's yeah. a balancing act and it's not something that you, you, you accomplish and then you're done, right? Like you're all rebalancing and rejiggering your, your priorities. Um, for me particularly, um, I work very closely with my, my CMO to understand what strategies and priorities yeah. she has that she is putting up to our CEO. And then I try for my team to spend at least 50 to 60% of our time on tactics that roll up to that, those specific strategies. So every month I put together a list of priorities that are aligned with the strategies. And I say, these are the things that we have to accomplish this month, because if we don't do that, we're Mm -hmm. not going to meet this goal. Everything goes under that. And so sometimes we meet, meet the goal, sometimes the goal slips, but as long as we have visibility into where we are, how much progress we've made, what our roadblocks are, as long as we're keeping our eye on the prize, I think that we're, we're in a good spot. And then every month we revisit our priorities, we take off what we've already accomplished, we make a, note, a notation somewhere and however we're managing our, our projects, and then we roll a new layer on to our priorities for that month that are, again, still aligned with the, the major goals. And it might be two things for one person, but those things might be like, might take a lot of cross-functional working, it might take some documentation, it might take hiring agencies, it might take like doing some cleaning, some standardization, it could be one project, but it could Mm -hmm. have multiple layers. So I also try to be reasonable. I'm not the best with deadlines. I'm, I, and my team will (laughs) co-sign this. I'd be like, we we can get this done in three months. And they're like, "Mm." and then I have to be like, okay, that was not reasonable. So tell me also what's reasonable. Like I do try to go to my team as I remember and say, like, I know that I have, like, I, I won't say unreasonable expectations. I think most MOPS people that I know have unreasonable totally. expectations for themselves. Like, we overachievers. Yes. <laughs> this is what we do. Right? And so I try to keep that in mind when I'm talking to my team about priorities. So I can say, okay, well, this is where I feel like we can land, but let's talk about this so I can make sure. I don't want to give you something that you're like, I'm never going to be able to do that. I want to make sure that you stretch a little bit, but you also have some confidence in being able to um, uh, to achieve those goals. And then we just establish the, the rigor for setting priorities aligned to the strategy, and we do it every yeah. month by clock. I love that. Every month. I, we say that a lot too, as far as like, I like that you got your strategy from your CMO and like what their objectives are. 
um, to then prioritize your projects is I think that it, it just makes it this is smarter, right? And also, like you said, with your value, how do we prove our value to the business? Like, well, if you're working on the most valuable things to your CMO and, and a lot of their goals are given to them from, you know, like executive leadership, that just means that you're working on the right thing. So I think that is key. All right, last quick question, and we don't have to go too much into it, but I always like asking people this, but what do you think is the biggest thing people are doing wrong when building a center of excellence or trying to achieve like operational excellence? This is literally the easiest question <laughs> I could possibly get, just so you know. I think they try to run before they crawl, before they walk, and I think they try to walk before they crawl. I think there is an order of operations, <laughs> no pun intended, and you, two things. So you have to crawl before you can walk and you have to walk before you can run. And I think that so many people have, without the understanding of mm -hmm. how these things actually work and how to them, kind of come in like with this, this mindset, like we're going to do all these things. It's going to take six months. We're going to have all these things. We're like, listen, we don't even have the technology and the people in place to do these things. We don't have the budget. Like, we don't have the insights. Like we're missing. Things. Like, let's start off with the foundational stuff first. Okay. And then let's build from that. So I think the biggest thing that people get wrong is they try to go past where they're really capable of. And they don't understand like mm -hmm. the journey of building yeah. operational excellence. You don't have to at the at the end i think the other thing is i think people look at it with the mm -hmm. goal in mind the goal in mind versus the future operational excellence is not a goal that you achieve and you're done it is a future state and future state is always pending so that means that you're always looking to achieve it you never actually achieve it and when people look at operational excellence and marketing excellence and marketing operations as a goal to be achieved they lose out on things like planning for flexibility, planning for scalability, but planning for being agile. And the minute some disruption happens, mm -hmm. there it's it's chaos and the business really falls apart. So I love that. I couldn't agree more with that. I think also too, some people, some people, some orgs, I think, confuse the size of their company or even like the maturity of their company with where they should then be from or where they even are currently with the maturity with market operations so they're like oh well you know we're series c or d so like let's just go straight to just figuring out attribution it's like you don't even have like your campaign structure right you know like you're not even like using like utms correctly like i don't know why you think like this thing's gonna work so you know so just really being like mindful like build the foundation honestly a simplicity is sexy too so like the more you can make your foundation simple but effective but then have like not and i would say simple doesn't mean doesn't mean that it's not sophisticated it just means like built in a way where it's not so complicated and piecemeal together and a frankenstack and so forth so the more you can really build like a sound foundation and then like you said like take the building blocks and make sure that once you get to that next step, you're just more set up for success, and and you'll you'll have more of your hair left uh, <laughs> when you get there. So, all right, Kim. Uh, um, my last thing is where if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? 
LinkedIn. Just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Kimma Shaw, the, the, the way that it's spelled on LinkedIn. I think there's literally only one of me. So if you if you see me on LinkedIn, follow me. I would love to, to get to know more of you. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach Perfect. out. Yeah, we'll be sharing a link to uh, your LinkedIn in the show notes. So if everyone wants to connect with Kimma, you can. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on today's episode. I, I really enjoyed it. I love all of your passion and everything you said. I just want to shout from the rooftops. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Forward Thinking, feel free to share it with your colleagues and friends um, or leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. So we'll see you next time on Forward Thinking. Have a good one.